You guys can turn again to the book of Philippians this morning. We'll be in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. I don't know if you have ever thought about this question. I, I think about it a lot. I'm the kind of guy who asks questions like this. Have you ever asked, why do humans do the things that they do? When you look out there and see all the strange and odd and often costly things that we humans do, have you ever wondered to yourself, why is it that humans do that? Here's one for many of you in this room. You have decided this semester to spend tens of thousands of dollars so that you can sit for hundreds of hours in a classroom and read thousands of pages of books so that at the end of it, they will give you a little piece of paper to put on your wall. What's up with that? Why do you do that? Or this last Thursday night, did you ever think, why do humans gather together in a big bowl on a hot summer night to yell for five hours? What's up with that? Why do we do these things? Well, the answers are actually much more complex than you might think. That's a, that's a question that's actually fascinated scholars for millennia. Why is it that human beings do what they do? What is it that motivates us, that drives us? And one of the more famous studies that was done on this idea of what drives humans to do what they do was performed by an American psychologist named Abraham Maslow in the last century. And He suggested that all human beings, all without exception, all cultures, all races, all human beings do what they do trying to meet five basic fundamental needs. Now, I don't have time this morning to walk you through all of his findings or give fair shrift to his critics. I'm not a scientist. This isn't a psychology class. But I'm going to introduce some of this to you because I have found that the basics of his theory line up really well with our experience in life and line up really well with what we see in Scripture. God really did design fundamental needs into the human heart that drive us to do what we do. We're trying to meet these most basic human needs that all humans share in common. And so I want to walk you through some of these basic needs that Maslow discovered. He has five fundamental needs in a hierarchy. So we start out with the most basic ones and build from there. And so he turned it into kind of a triangle and you start at the bottom. And the most fundamental need that you have that drives you to do what you do is the need for survival. Survival needs are your need for food and water and air and sleep and clothing and shelter. They're survival needs because without those things, you die. You have to have them. So survival, that trumps everything else. That's way down here, the base of the pyramid, your survival needs. Second, your need for safety. Humans do a lot of what they do trying to accumulate safety and security in life. You need to feel safe from imminent danger. You need to feel stable in your life. And, and what Maslow discovered is that these two fundamental needs at the very bottom of the pyramid, you have to have those met or it's very difficult to get to any of the other needs. Those are so fundamental, so basic, that if you do not have those met, you will be completely fixated on those things. And, and so I, I do want to say, and just kind of pause for a moment, even though we're going to spend most of the time on the upper part of the, of the pyramid, if you are here this morning and you're struggling with need one or need two, one of the core reasons the church exists is to help people who are struggling for survival and safety. 
The rest of what I talk about in the sermon this morning won't be as useful to you because you, you need food. You, you need to get to a doctor. You, you need help from someone who can make you safe. We want to help you with that. And so if you are struggling with survival or safety or you know someone who is, we're here for you. Please come talk to one of us on staff. We are also incredibly blessed at Grace Bible Church to have many doctors, many counselors, many firefighters, many police officers worshiping with us. They're here here this morning and they've chosen careers designed to help meet those first two needs in your life. So if you're here and you're struggling with those, please don't let another day go by. Come talk to us. That comes first because God designed it where you can't move up the pyramid until those needs are met. Okay. He wants those met. That's why the church is here. Okay. So come talk to us about those. But I'm going to assume for the sake of this sermon that for most of us in this room, God has blessed us by meeting those first two levels of need. For most of us, we're eating enough food. For most of us, we have a roof over us when we sleep at night. For most of us, we're relatively safe from imminent danger. So assuming that is the case, God has designed it where your mind is able to move up the pyramid to the next levels of fundamental human needs. So what are they? So this is where most of us live, the upper half of this pyramid. The next one is our need for society or community. God designed it where human beings have a fundamental need to feel like they belong. We have a need to feel loved, to feel accepted by others. We need that. Above that, fourth level of need, the need for significance. Some people call this the the need for esteem. You need to feel like your work in life matters, like you are valued, like you're making a difference in the world. And then fifth and final, the top of the pyramid, our need for kind of a funny phrase, self-actualization. What he meant by that is growth. Human beings need to grow. That's a, a part of how God designed you. You need to be making progress forward in your goals in life. That's part of how you become fully what God designed you to be. Now, those top three needs, society significance, self-actualization, those are going to be front and center in this week's passage in Philippians and next week's passage in Philippians. So we're going to be talking about this for a couple weeks. In today's passage, it's primarily needs three and four. That's where we're going to focus. Next week, we'll move on to the fifth and final one. Okay, so this morning, what I want us to do is I want to look at this need for significance and this need for society that God designed into us. I want us to see what God has to say about these needs. I would argue that here in Bryan College Station, the majority of people living in this community are blessed by God to have needs one and two met. So most people in this community are spending the bulk of their time trying to meet needs three and four. That's why most of your fellow citizens here in the Brazos County do what they do and say what they say. They're trying to meet that need for community, to, to feel a sense of, of love and belonging, and they're, they're searching for significance. They want their life to count, to, to make a difference. We need that. God designed that into us. Human beings need community and significance, and when we can't find them, we end up making bad choices. I would say that a lot of the people in our community who are struggling with alcohol or drug abuse or things of that nature, it's because they're trying to dull the pain of loneliness and insignificance that has invaded their life because they can't meet needs three and four. That's a big part of why we do what we do, both good and bad. 
Okay, so these needs are, are fundamental to us. We have to have community and significance to thrive. And, and the big idea that I have for you this morning is that if we want to meet needs three and four, we simply have to apply the big idea we've actually been talking about for three weeks. So, what's the big thing I've been talking to you guys about for three weeks? Um, I'm, I'm not so foolish to think that you, you know it off the top of your head. It's really easy to forget what I say on a particular Sunday morning. So I'm going to remind you, what is the big idea of your life? What is your mission here on earth? What is the reason that God has left you on earth rather than taking you to heaven? Well, it is this. Our mission as a church and as individuals is we help people find and follow Jesus. That's why we're here. That, that's the goal of our life. We are helping people to, to find and follow Jesus. That's what life is all about. And in this passage we're going to look at this morning, what I want to show you is that if you engage with us in that mission, if you say, okay, Blake, you've been talking about that for three weeks now, I'm ready to step up. I'm ready to dedicate my life to that mission. If you engage in that mission, God will use that mission to satisfy those two fundamental needs in your life for community and for significance. If you want community, if you want genuine lasting significance, that's how you get it. And that's what Paul's going to show us in the passage we're going to look at this morning. So look with me, chapter 1. It's a relatively short passage. We're going to start in verse 3. And read through verse 8. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy and my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The big idea of of this introductory prayer Paul is making is right there at the beginning. Verse 3, thanks. Paul is giving thanks. He's very, very thankful for the Philippian believers. And most of what we just read is Paul telling us why he likes these people so much. Why is he so thankful for them? Now, just so you know, Paul in verses 3 and 4, he's not saying that 24 hours a day he prays for the Philippians. What he's saying is that every time he happens to remember the Philippian church, which is quite often, it wells up within him a feeling of thankfulness. And so he says, thank you to God for them. And and in telling us why he's so thankful for For the Philippian church, Paul is going to show us how we can meet those two fundamental needs in our life for community and for significance by engaging in this mission. Okay, so let me let me introduce you to that. Let me show you that. I'm going to unpack this for you. Why should you join us in this mission of helping people find and follow Jesus? The first reason is because it will create the genuine community you crave. If you want genuine, deep, lasting friendships, you find it by joining with others in this mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. Now, I, I want you, you to notice, did you, did you see the really strong emotional words in verses 7 and 8? Look again at verse 7 and 8. He, he says, I have you in my heart. I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And what Paul is showing us here is that For him, the Philippian church wasn't like a job. 
They weren't congregants who he needed to minister to. They were not volunteers he needed to manage. They were family. They were brothers and sisters who he loved. Why? Well, he tells you why he loves them so much in verse 5. In view or because of your participation in the gospel. Participation in some of your English translations, it's going to read partnership. That's another great translation. Actually, the word there that's translated either participation or partnership, it's the Greek word koinonia, which some of you have heard. It's usually in your Bibles translated fellowship. So usually what you would see here is fellowship. Now, if you've been in the church for a long time and you hear the word fellowship, what do you think of? For me, I grew up in a little Bible church, so I think of potluck dinners. I think of lots of casseroles strewn out in front of me. As a little kid, I didn't want to eat any of them, but that's what fellowship was. I had to eat of the green bean casserole to have fellowship. For, for us here at Southwood, we don't do so much of the potluck thing, but maybe it's a coffee social. Maybe it's hanging out before or after worship service. That's what we think of when we hear the word fellowship. But actually, biblical fellowship, koinonia, is much deeper than that. Actually, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, a guy named D.A. Carson, he studied this word deeply. And here's a definition he gives. I love this. In the first century, the word fellowship or koinonia commonly had commercial overtones. If John and Harry buy a boat and start a fishing business, they have entered into a fellowship, a partnership. Thus, in Romans, for example, when the Macedonian Christians send money to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem, they are entering into fellowship with them. So here's how he defines it. The heart of true biblical fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. So much more than eating green bean casserole. So let me simplify this definition just a little bit for you. Here's how I put it. Biblical fellowship is shared sacrifice towards a common mission. That's the essence of what it means to be in fellowship with one another. We sacrifice together towards a common mission. This actually makes a lot of sense if you think about J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy. What was the name of the first book? Fellowship of the Ring. It's kind of an odd phrase. Like when I was a kid, I was like, I didn't know what to do with that. Fellowship of the Ring? Like, are we having a party all around a little ring? Or like, are we, are we eating potluck meals in a big circle? Like, what's Fellowship of the Ring? Well... No, it's being used in the biblical sense. J.R. Tolkien is using that word exactly how the Bible would. Fellowship of the ring means shared sacrifice towards a common goal. In this case, to destroy that ring. That's what bound together characters who would have otherwise been enemies. Fellowship of the ring, you got, if you haven't read the books, you got some different species there. They didn't like each other. They would have been at war with one another if it wasn't for this common mission to destroy this ring that bound them together so tightly that some of them ended up dying for one another to make that mission complete, successful. Well, that's the idea of biblical fellowship. It is shared sacrifice around a common mission. And what is our common mission? Well, Paul says it's the gospel. We are participating together in the gospel, this good news about Jesus. That's what the word gospel means, actually, literally in Greek, it's good news. And the particular good news here is that God loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead so that you could have forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift. 
That's the good news that, that we're partnering together to spread in the world. That's what the Philippians had done with Paul. They had sacrificially shared in his missionary work of taking the gospel to people who had not yet heard it. And, and that partnership, that sacrifice, it was financial sacrifice, it was time sacrifice, it was comfort sacrifice. That sacrifice around that common mission of advancing the gospel to the nations, that bound Paul and the Philippians together they're tighter than family. That is exactly how God designed it. You see the same truth modeled by Jesus. You may recall Jesus chose 12 disciples. Some of them, it was an easy choice. But there's, there's a couple choices there that are, are a little challenging that Jesus made. He called two guys who would have never given one another time of day. He called Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon, a zealot. And if you look back at the history of politics in the first century, they were as polar opposite as you could get. Tax collector means aligned with Rome. Zealot means enemy of Rome. They hated one another so much that often zealots murdered those who were tax collectors, who had aligned themselves with Rome. And yet in this common call of Jesus, calling them to take good news to the world, these two who would have been political enemies are instead closer than brothers to one another. That's what fellowship is. Shared sacrifice around this common mission of taking the gospel to the nations, of helping people to find and follow Jesus. And so what Paul is telling us in this passage is that if you want to be part of of a community where, where you experience love and friendship that lasts forever, then you need to join with other believers in this mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. That's where you find the community you're seeking. That's proven true in my life. So before I was a pastor, I was an engineer. And I lived up in the Washington, D.C. area. And I spent a lot of time with other engineers at work. In fact, most of my waking hours, obviously, were with these other engineers at work. And we spent a lot of time together. We ate lunch together. We had coffee breaks together. I would have called those, those other engineers my friends. But to be honest, none of them really knew or cared about my life outside of work. And I was there for a long time. If I wanted to talk to them about bearings, they would talk about that all day. If I wanted to talk to them about the loneliness I was dealing with, no, no, no. We're engineers. We don't go there. They were not interested in that. But I found the exact opposite when I went to church after work. And I gathered together with other men and women who had the same vision I did of helping people find and follow Jesus in the D.C. area. And so we would gather together for, for Bible study and for ministry. And they, it wasn't just that they were willing to hear me talk about my battle with loneliness. They actually asked me. They pursued me. They initiated. They wanted to know, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? I found the deep friendship and sense of belonging I was looking for when I gathered together with other believers around the shared vision of taking the gospel of Jesus to people who don't yet know him. That bound us together, tighter than family. And the same can be true for you. If you are craving for community, for, for a group of people to truly love you, where you belong, you can find that when you join with us in helping people find and follow Jesus. And at the end of the sermon today, I'll tell you how. I'll give you some specific steps. But before that, we got to talk about that second great need God designed into the human heart. So we have this great need for community. Second, we have this great need for significance. 
We are called to help people find and follow Jesus. And as we do, it will create the lasting significance that we crave in life. Look with me at verse 6. So verse 6, let's read that again. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, that verse is debated a lot. It's a little tricky to figure out what's going on here. We're not positive what is the good work that God is doing. There's two primary views. The first view says that God's good work is his good work in us. That means sanctification. That means growing believers to be more and more like Jesus. And and we know that that is indeed true. God has promised he's going to continue to work in the hearts and lives of believers, helping them to grow to be more like his son Jesus. That's true. That actually is stated clearly in chapter 2. Paul will talk about that some in the passage we'll look at next week. So we know that that is a true point, but I don't think that that's the meaning in verse 6. I think instead it's this. Option number two, it's talking about God's good work through us, using his people, the church, to take the gospel to the nations, using his church to help people find and follow Jesus. Paul is saying God is going to take your efforts of helping people find and follow Jesus and he is going to bless them. He is going to use them. That fits the context better because right before this, verse before, Paul was talking about how thankful he is for their sacrificial work and taking the gospel to the nations. He's talking about the same thing. And what he's telling these Philippian believers is that God is making a promise to them. God is going to to bless that that labor, that sacrifice, that work of helping people find and follow Jesus. He's going to make sure that that work has its effect, that it bears fruit, that it makes a lasting eternal difference, that it's not in vain. Paul makes that point explicit, actually. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Be firm, do not be moved, always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. And here's why, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What you do for the cause of Jesus, what what you do here on earth for the sake of helping others experience the love of Jesus, God promises he will not let your efforts to that end be in vain. And that is very encouraging to me because if you think about it, there is so much we do in this life that ends up being in vain, right? If you're old enough, you've seen that. So for me, when I was at that engineering company, we spent a year building a bus, very similar to the buses that take you students to campus. We took a bus and we converted it into an electric hybrid vehicle, and we spent a lot of time on it, a whole lot of unpaid overtime on that project. So all of us engineers, we were very relieved when that bus shipped. We were excited. There was just one problem. The customers for that bus, the nation of Egypt and the United States. And as that bus took its slow boat ride to Egypt, the political relationship between our two nations deteriorated, and the partnership was scrapped. As a result, when the bus was unloaded off the boat, it was put in a customs warehouse, where as well as best I know, it still sits 20 years later. Never been used. I know how it was built. It is completely useless now. It's worthless. A whole year of my life wasted. That was really depressing when I got the call about that. I was really discouraged, and it left me asking, has any of my work at this company over the last year made any lasting difference? Well, the answer is actually yes. It did make a difference. Why? Because during that year, as we worked on that bus, I had the opportunity to share the love of Christ with my coworkers. 
So as we worked hard on that bus together, I got to show them some things. I, I got to show them that the, the love of Christ at work in, in my work ethic. I got to show them that Christians work hard together on these projects. I got to show them the character of Christ at work in me through my patience when things got stressful. I, I got to share with them the hope I have in Christ when we would talk over lunch or over coffee breaks about what we were looking forward to later in life. And so as I look back at that year now, I, I'm not depressed about it because I know, yeah, the bus is rusting in a warehouse in Egypt. That's okay because my efforts to show them the love of Christ, that lasts forever. And no one can take that away. There's no customs office for that. That made a lasting difference. And that same principle guides me today. So many of you know, Julie and I started a charity that gives cars to people in need. And that sounds great. Sounds awesome. But it's really important for me to keep first things first in my mind. And you know what's not first? The cars. Giving someone a car, that can't be the first priority. Why? Because cars don't last. You probably know that. The cars we're giving, they're used. So at the very best... Our clients might get 10 years out of that car, but after 10 years, it's going to be scrap. It's not going to be worth anything. And so if, only, if everything is only about giving away a car, well, that, it's not going to matter. It's not going to make a lasting difference. So why do we do it? If we know the cars are going to eventually wear out, we do it because it gives us a chance to show people the love of Jesus. We get to show these people that they matter, that, that they're cared for. We get to demonstrate to them how God loves us in grace with no strings attached. And that love lasts forever, long after a car. And the good news is that, that that demonstration of the love of Christ, that can transform a family in the way a car never could. And so that's what sanctifies our efforts. That's what, that's what uses our efforts and consecrates them so that they make an eternal difference. If you want your life to count for eternity, then dedicate it to helping people find and follow Jesus. Whether that's at school, at work, in your home, in your neighborhood, make that your ambition, your goal, and your life will count. You will have the significance you crave when you dedicate your life to helping people find and follow Jesus. What you do for him will not be in vain. Now, just to be clear, you may not see the effects in this life. Again, we're taking it on faith. It's a promise God has made. We won't see it till the next life, the effect that our lives have had. But if you want your life to count for eternity, then dedicate it to helping people find and follow Jesus. If you're like every other human being on earth, you crave community and significance. And you can have both if you will partner with us in helping people find and follow Jesus. So now let's talk about how. How do you join in this mission of the church, this mission that... Jesus has given us of helping people to find and follow Jesus. Well, ultimately, the answer is varied. There are as many answers to that question as there are people in this room because God loves variety. He loves creativity. He has designed each of us with a unique path of good deeds to walk in this life. So I can't answer this for all of you. What I can do is give you some ideas that have been helpful to other people. So that's why I'm just going to give you some ideas to get you started. How can you join in, in this mission of helping people find and follow Jesus so that you can have the, the community and the significance God designed you to crave? Well, idea number one, support a missionary. That's actually exactly what the Philippians were doing. How did they get their significance in their community by supporting a missionary named Paul? You can do the same thing. 
You can join together with someone who is dedicating their lives to taking the gospel to the nations. And, and how do you do that practically? Well, you may already know a missionary out there or someone who is going on missions. I encourage you to support them. I, and when I say support, I mean prayer, but I also mean financially. There's just something about when we give our money, it's giving our heart. It's binding us together with someone. And so support those who, who are taking the gospel to those who haven't yet heard. And if you're thinking to yourself, I, d- I don't know anyone who is, that's why I've given you this email address. So just email our global outreach team, globaloutreach at grace-bible.org. Say, I, I would love a missionary to partner with. They will provide you one because we have many, 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 many who are looking for prayer supporters and financial supporters. You can even tell them, hey, I feel uh, really tender in my heart towards this people group or this demographic of people out there. Can you connect me with a missionary going to that people group or going to that demographic? They'll do their best to connect you together so that you can pray and partner. And as you do, you will find God will bless that with an incredible sense of community with that missionary and an incredible sense of significance. What you'll probably find, it's actually really cool. This town is real transitory, so people leave all the time. And so whether you stay here or go, people are going to be going out of your life all the time. Who are the people you're going to end up having back in your home for a meal? It's likely the people you are partnering with. It's going to be the missionary coming back on furlough. You're going, to get to, you're going to just long to have them in your home and spend time with them. Because that's how God designed it. When you partner together in his great work, it binds your hearts together. Okay, so support a missionary. Second idea, invite an international student to a meal. You can be involved directly in helping someone to find and follow Jesus. Maybe somebody who's never heard about him or heard very little about him. You can invite an international student to a meal, to breakfast, or lunch, or dinner. Now, some of you know, last week was our big give, where we give incredible amount of furniture away to international students. And during that event, they have the chance to write down whether or not they would like to have a meal with an American. And guess what? Like most of them do. They really would like that. And so what we've done is we've written down their name, contact information, basic information, and we have put it on our board. So when you go out into the foyer, or those who are in the foyer this morning watching this, look over at the Love the Nations wall. It's the gray wall at the back of the foyer. It is covered in postcards that are taped to a world map. Go grab one. Okay, just grab, grab one that ideally it fits with some nation or some part of the world you're interested in. Grab the name of an international student. When you grab it, you're committing to call or email, whatever the contact method is. Connect with that international student and invite them to a meal sometime in the next two weeks. The meal doesn't have to be in the next two weeks, but the contact does. Okay, so grab one of those. Get together with an international student and just share your life with them. Hear about their life. Begin to build a friendship. That's an amazing way to join in God's work of helping people find and follow Jesus. Okay, really practically, you can do it today. Go on a mission trip. And we don't have a lot of details yet. We're putting all of our mission trips together, but we will have a lot of them. They'll be going to places like South Asia, Honduras, many other places. One of the best ways to participate in God's work and build lifelong friendships with people is to go together on a trip. We'd love to have you do that. We'll have trips going throughout the spring and summer. Lots more details will be coming out in the next month. Okay, so love to have you consider that if you've never gone on a mission trip before. Join a small group. Again, that's what, that's what made the difference for me when I was in the D.C. area. I joined a small group Bible study. And in that Bible study, that's where I found that community that I craved, that sense of significance that I craved, as I joined with them in that mission of reaching the D.C. metro area with the gospel. You can do the same thing here. 
join a small group committed to reaching this community with the gospel. It will bind you together. It will build within you a sense of eternal significance. And so we have a billion small groups. I can't go through them all today. There are so many. Some meet on Sunday mornings. Some are men's groups. Some are women's groups. Some are co-ed home groups. There's lots of options. They are all laid out for you on our website. If you go to our website, www.grace-bible.org, and hit connect. That's all the small groups. Or just come talk to one of us that works here. We'd love to help you get connected in a small group where you can find the community and significance you crave. Final idea, becoming a member. For a lot of people, joining in the mission of a church means becoming a member of that church. We would love to have you become a member of Grace Bible Church, even if you're not going to be able to say, hey, I'm going to be here in town for 10 years. I mean, who of us can even say that? That's okay. Even if it's only for a couple years, we'd love to have you become a member at Grace. In your bulletin today are the details on the next membership class coming up in a few weeks. So you can look at the bulletin, sign up for that. We'd love to see you there. So lots of different ways you can do this. Now, actually, you here at the 915 service, you have a way to act on this sermon immediately if you have the time and would like to today. We would love to have you stick around for just a little bit and join us at Starting Point. So Starting Point, we're going to gather together for a short time and walk you through how you can get connected at Grace and how you can serve at Grace. It's designed to help you find your place here in this big church. Where do you fit in? And so this morning, Trey Corey, Julie White, they're going to meet you guys over in the fellowship wing, which is right through the foyer. To the left, you do not need to register. You do not need to sign. You just go. At 1045, they'll start. They'll walk you through. If you have kids this morning that are in child care, if they're pre-K, you can leave them there. We've extended the hours of pre-K, so they can just stay there, keep playing. If you have elementary or older kids, bring them with you, because we'll, we'll talk to them too. Okay, so we'd love to have you find your place at Grace, where you can begin to find the community and the significance that you crave. Our, our goal here for every one of you is that as you look at your life, you would be finding not just salvation from sin in Jesus, We want to make sure that when we think about what the gospel does for us, what Jesus does for us, it's not just a ticket to get out of hell and go to heaven. It's so much more. What Jesus is for you is a solution to every need you have. And so we want to make sure that here at Grace, you are finding in Jesus the community and the sense of significance that God designed into your heart. He wants to meet those needs, and he can do it here. So we hope that you will join us in helping people find and follow Jesus. And in doing that, that you will find a family to belong to and a sense of significance that will last the rest of your life. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that you died for our sins and rose from the dead to set us free from sin. But not only that, but to begin to transform us, to fill us with your eternal life, your hope, your joy, your peace, your significance, your community. We... We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us so much. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to to turn to you to find the, the community and the significance that we crave. We confess that those are needs you have built into our hearts. We pray that we would take those needs to you rather than, than to the things that this world offers that are, are pale substitutes by comparison. We pray that you, we would turn to you, Jesus, with every need that we have. And I pray for everyone here this morning, for anyone here who does not yet feel like they have a community to belong to or anyone who feels like their life is not yet significant, that they're not making a lasting difference on the world. I, 
I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would find the answer to that need here at Grace Bible Church as they join in your mission of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would draw them closer to you, that you would help them to to come to you and join in your work in the world and that that would meet all of the needs that they have. We thank you so much that you love us so much, Father, that you want to take care of all of the needs you have put into our heart. We pray that we would continually turn to you. We thank you for Jesus. He is worthy. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week and see some of you, I hope, at Starting Point.